Welcome to Outspoken, where we dive deep into the topics and intersection of technology, money, business, and passion. I'm your host, Shana Cosgrove. I can't affect the entire world, but I can affect Baltimore a little bit. I can affect my neighborhood a little bit, and I can have others also work together to make the changes that we need to have to have a a good society. Trying to tell that narrative to city legislators for saying, you have to keep your families here. They are critical to your ecosystem. You can't just write a check and hope somebody will come. It doesn't work that way. It's amazing to feel people's passion and to see how much they are willing to give and commit because you don't, no one gets paid from our board. When people are willing to do things, not for me as a person, but for the cause. That's the part that excites me about my board. This podcast is sponsored by Nyla Technology Solutions, an SBA certified 8A hub zone, woman-owned small business specializing in full-stack software engineering and data science services to the U.S. government. Our innovative solutions are built to match the speed of mission. For more information, partnering opportunities, and new job openings, please visit our website, www.nyla.io. I really want to thank you both so much for being here. This is my second two-person podcast. So first, will you introduce yourselves? Ladies first. My name is Jimmy Drayton. I'm the executive director for Baltimore Family Alliance. I'm originally from New York City, and I came to Baltimore in 2015. So I'm a mom, which is funny. I leave with that instead of I'm a wife, but that's a whole nother. We'll leave my (laughs) husband out of it. And how many children do you have? I have four girls and one boy. So if my eyes are bloodshot, <laughs> it's because I don't sleep at night half the time. <laughs> and what neighborhood do you live in in Baltimore? I'm actually in between neighborhoods right by City College. So Edna Gardens is across the street and I live on the Chum side. Do you feel like you have a split personality living between neighborhoods? I do. They're very different neighborhoods. So it's two different neighborhood associations as well. And my neighbors on the Edna Gardens side, they get you know, interesting information. I'm like, what did they say? And then I go back with what I get from the chump side. So it's all lovely because we come together to clean our median, which separates the two neighborhoods. Oh, that's neat. How many different schools do your kids go to? One. This is the one and only year that all my girls will go to the same school. So I get to give all of their teachers fire and brimstone for the entire year. It's wonderful. (laughs) And what school is that? So they go to Montebello Elementary Middle School, which is typically across the street on Lake Montebello. It's a beautiful space. And what is your day job? I work for a nonprofit. So I literally get paid to serve families, which is unique. Um, Usually someone does something random with their time, like, you know, accounting or IT, but I actually get to serve people. So If people are pissed, I'm not having a good day. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's why people work in IT. (laughs) Plug it in, plug it out. Scott, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Scott Cash now. I live in the Franklin Square neighborhood with my wife and two boys, seven and 10. They go to Francis Scott Key Elementary Middle School. We've lived in this neighborhood for 
15 years or so. I've lived in Baltimore basically my whole life in and around Baltimore. What's your day job? I work in IT. <laughs> I develop websites and applications for the Maryland Department of Health. Tell us about your IT stack. What are you typically developing in? For very custom applications and things that I have complete control over, I like to use .NET, C Sharp for mm-hmm. front ends and SQL back ends. They take a lot longer than some of the more modern SaaS products, rapid development, things like that. So also work with like Cognito Forms and build something. I actually built something just uh, in a matter of a week that would normally have taken me probably six months to build using a traditional stack. But there's limitations. Like we can't customize what the font looks like, the size of things, yeah. you know, can't change yeah. colors. You get what you get, but it gets fast. Uh, yeah. And you can, you can really give somebody a good product quickly. Depends on what they need. Also work with Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics and things like that that are also fast, but somewhat limited. Who's using the website and hitting the website? So I don't do a whole lot with that kind of stuff because that's website building for people that are trafficking to it. And I'm mostly on the data side. So I Uh, help the department handle their data. So I'm building data access forms on their web enabled generally. I built a couple of applications that go out over the website, but people are usually getting data back from that. So they're applying for positions or board positions or things like that. Well, this is the first time I've really gotten to nerd out with Scott. So (laughs) I appreciate it. I thought you were doing a lot of public facing websites. No, most of my stuff is not public facing. Uh, It's, you you know, have internal customers generally. You guys are speaking a foreign language right now. (laughs) (laughs) We're here to talk about the Baltimore Family Alliance. Can you describe what that is? Baltimore Family Alliance is literally an alliance of thousands of families across Baltimore City. Our mission is to connect and empower families, right? So we're trying to create an urban village. So when you think Baltimore City, most people have their own ideas. And what we're saying is we're coming together as families that are committed to great schools, safe streets, and great neighborhoods. And all of those start with people. So that's what we do. So we not just do give back programs like our back to school drive, our adopt a family, which most people know us for, but we also do advocacy work. We just had a lot of families speak at the school board meeting. And then we do things that connect people to each other, right? That's really the most important part of our work is to connect Shana to Scott so that they know that the city is full of real life people. And how long have you been part of this organization? Six months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's been a very filled six months. It has. I just had a conversation today with Liv Baltimore's executive director, Annie Miller, and it was just interesting. She's like, how long have you been there? I'm like, six strong months. I think it's a rare gift to immediately come into something and so quickly come up to speed and seem like you've been there forever. I don't know about gift, but I will say this. It's almost like you've waited all your life to serve people, if that makes sense. It's like a dream job to get to help families because I, again, I have five children. So I've always wanted someone to ask me my opinion and nobody (laughs) ever has. So if you ask Scott and Shana, how can we make Baltimore better? I'm sure you would tell them, but nobody asked. For me, it's just more like, oh, gosh, I get to drop off packages to people. That's exciting. 
it's really encouraging, but it's also helpful that people want to give back and people want to meet their neighbors in Baltimore, which is unique. Coming from New York City where nobody wants to get to know each other. It's like, get out the way, I'm going to work. It's very different <laughs> than Baltimore City. Scott, what is your role related to Baltimore Family Alliance? I am currently the president of the board. I've been a member of the board for probably 10 years now. I think it's one of the most important organizations in the city. There's a lot of choices about where I could spend my time. And I spend a lot of time with this uh, because I think that Baltimore's future depends on families. And in some ways, my family's future depends on Baltimore. You know, being a great place to raise a family is very important to me personally. It's very important to me ethically, I think, thinking about what's the right thing for the world and how I want the world to actually be. I can't probably affect the entire world, but I can affect Baltimore a little bit. I can affect my neighborhood a little bit, and I can have others also work together to make the changes that we need to have to have a a good society. I think families are good for Baltimore, and I think Baltimore is good for families. And so I keep on doing this, and it's a lot of fun. And it's an unpaid position. It is an unpaid position, but I get paid in all the wonderful gratitude that we get all the time. How long has that organization existed? I'm going to say 2006 it started. Why don't you tell us the origin of Baltimore Family Alliance? How did it come to exist? So it came to exist out of a conversation with three moms, noticing that their neighborhood had more strollers in it. And like Jimmy said, it's a unique organization. The organization like this doesn't exist. As far as we can tell, there's no other city even that has an organization that like this that advocates on behalf of families trying to make families' priorities the top priority for the city. And so three moms uh, that lived in South Baltimore near the harbor came together and decided that they should start this organization to support families and to keep families in the city. Actually, let me back up and, and tell you the story that that my mom told me because I grew up in Baltimore. My mom said to me when I was born, she thought, this is fine. We've got four years to get the city schools in shape so my kid can go to to city schools. You know, so that's plenty of time. And she said to me, uh, you're now 40 and having the exact same conversation. So I wish you good luck. (laughs) (laughs) So it's clear that we have our work cut out for us. And I do truly think that we need to be realistic in the challenges that we have, but that there's also real possibilities and we're actually focused on real solutions and and getting things done. So I think we can do that. And how did you end up joining the board? I'll blame Sharika Bolden for that. (laughs) I was pretty involved in my neighborhood already. Which Um, neighborhood? So I'm in the Franklin Square neighborhood. So that was Um, the neighborhood you were living in when you joined? Yep. And we're in West Baltimore. So over near the University of Maryland Biopark. And I got involved with the community association I happen to notice that, that, you know, some neighborhoods had newsletters and some didn't. Mine didn't have a newsletter. And I'd been going around to other neighborhood association meetings and things like that and meeting people and seeing what was going on. So I, I thought it might be helpful if my neighborhood had a newsletter. I just started writing a newsletter. I found Microsoft Publisher and just created a newsletter. I tried to keep it to just a front and back single page. Obviously, that's easier to hand out. It's faster to do that with just one page when you're walking around as opposed to trying to collate pages. And the other uh, reason was I was told a couple of different times, uh, you write too much. 
Nobody wants to read that much. But also, I was told a lot that people really appreciated getting information and knowing what was going on. So I tried to spend a good bit of time also including pictures and things like that in the newsletter. Is this pre-Facebook? Yeah, this would be pre-Facebook. I'm not so good with Facebook. This was before that. But Sharika happened to wind up on my emailing list. And she lived a couple neighborhoods over and was the vice president of the Downtown Baltimore Family Alliance at the time. And she was like, hey, you should come be a part of this. I was like, well, that sounds good. I have a child and I think that's important. And I want to make you know the school system better and keep families in Baltimore. Sounds like a good thing. So let's do it. And what committee did you start on? I was on the walkability committee at the time. That really strikes me. And what's your neighborhood is all about, right? Walkability is like, it encompassed all kinds of things. You're talking about walking around. It's the state of the sidewalks. It's traffic. It's crosswalks, pedestrian safety. It's having the cleaners, the hardware store, all the things that you need, the amenities in your neighborhood. And then it's also having a nicely populated neighborhood. So in Baltimore, we have a lot of vacancy that we deal with in certain neighborhoods. So this actually means that you need to address that in some kind of substantial way. The best thing would be obviously to have people in all the homes, but there's interim solutions that you also need to walk past buildings that are safe to walk by. You know, if there's, if there, for example, if a cornice is hanging off of a building, you can't walk past that building. You can't walk past a building where there's broken glass or something like that, or where it feels unsafe. One of the issues that we have in Baltimore that's often brought up is safety. But the truth is, from what I've seen, it's the perception of safety. It's not real safety because most people are not actually checking the data and looking to see, well, you know, what crime happened here on this corner? They're like, wow, those cars are moving really fast. I don't feel safe. Or these buildings look like they're in serious disrepair. There's no lights around here. I don't feel safe. It doesn't always equate. So I think it's really the perception of safety. And I think that's really important that we actually recognize it so that we can actually address the real problem that we're actually trying to solve. What are the main thrusts of Baltimore Family Alliance? One is our making sure our schools are not just well-funded, but operate for what parents want. So good schools, working at the local level, city school board, working with principals, PTOs and PTAs to make sure that the education is quality. You cannot keep families if they don't like the education system, period. And then safe streets is our second bucket. I'm not from Baltimore City, right? I need a family here that when my kids have an early pickup day, somebody can help pick up the kids. Or like this morning, the bus left one of the students at my kid's school and the mother was almost in tears. And I'm like, I will take your kids to school. This is my number. It's things like that that make the city worth living in because we become an urban village, right? A family. Eventually, you need friends who become like family. How many different neighborhoods are there in Baltimore? Oh, there's over 200 neighborhoods. And we're not separated. Like, D.C. has four quadrants, right? Right. Baltimore doesn't have quadrants, right? So we started as the downtown Baltimore Family Alliance because the peninsula has its own unique culture versus Bolton Hill, which is more central Baltimore and Charles Village. And they have their own unique culture and needs because the houses are different. Our stoops are different. Yes, wildly different. It's so different. And I think that's the part that's a challenge, but also an opportunity because we have different needs as families in the different neighborhoods. When Scott was talking about walkability, I was thinking about as a new mom, like what stroller should I get? 
Yes. Because you're often living in a smaller old house with stairs that you're going up. There's cracks on the sidewalks. And then you're going into stores or restaurants with stairs as well and not a lot of storage and the backpacks and going to all the activities. But I do think I started Baltimore, life in Baltimore living in Federal Hill, which is part of the peninsula, which is made up of Riverside, Federal Hill, and Locust Point. Fed Hill has the small shops, right? Like if you want to shop local, go to the ice cream shop that is nowhere else in the world. That's just you. You know, that's Fed Hill. Like you can go to the bar scene and then the Canton side is like Target. I mean, like who doesn't go to Target? I moved up to Baltimore because my, I met my husband and he had a house in Federal Hill And it was right near Cross Street Market. So we were right in the heart of everything. But this is before there was a Harris Teeter. The Four Seasons wasn't there. That whole Target complex did not exist at all. And this was in 2012. None of that existed. That's the part that I love about Baltimore. Things change that rapidly. And when I talk with like business owners and they tell me, well, we got this because the families were here. And they could support the businesses. That's the part that's so interesting to me. Because when people talk about the black butterfly in Baltimore City, they're like the disinvestment. And I'm like, no, literally these are marketing decisions happening. Where is the income? So if there's no income to support the target, and that's what we saw if the target went away. Trying to tell that narrative to city legislators were saying, you have to keep your families here. They are critical to your ecosystem. You can't just write a check and hope somebody will come. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And that whole area in Canton was night and day difference in less than 10 years. So I've been here less than 10 years and I've seen this fundamental change in just the landscape of both Federal Hill and Canton. It's extraordinary. And being here my whole life, I've, I knew Patterson Park when you didn't go there during the daytime. It was not a place to be. And now there are people that camp out there at night. They have events where you camp all night. They have that light um, up night too, where, uh, what is it like? The kite light the up night? Parade. The lantern parade. Yep. I mean, that's yep. like the coolest thing ever. I yeah. do find one of the things about living in the city is there's so much to do every weekend. There's so many options and it's often right outside your door that it's hard to decide. And that was my favorite part about living in Federal Hill was that people were outside going to things all the time. So you were always running into people. Scott, tell us about some of the programs that Baltimore Family Alliance offers. Are you looking for more from your career than just a paycheck? At NYLA, we offer that and so much more. Join us for a career where your growth is our priority with generous pay, unbeatable benefits, and a supportive environment that cheers on your every achievement. We're scouting for top-tier data scientists, software engineers ready for something bigger. Ready to be a part of a company that cares about where you're going? We're ready for you. Check us out at nylatechnologysolutions.com or drop us a line at hello at nyla.io. We really thought, I think, strategically about 
which programs are important to bring because there's so many different things that we could do. But we decided that we would really target families at the transition points in their life. At the point where you first become a family, you need support. Everything in your whole world changes. Like Jimmy was saying, you know, especially if you don't have extended family that's nearby, everything changes at that point. When you first deciding where you're going to go to school, you need to figure out all the things that go along with that. What school are we going to go to? How do we sign up? Is there options? You know, how are we going to get there? What are we going to do for after school? All that kind of stuff that goes into it. And then when you go on to middle schools and high schools, those are all transition points in families' lives and and the the trajectory of a family. And there are decision points where people are deciding where are they going to live? You know, that's what we see as a trend in the city. Historically, you would see a young couple maybe lives in the city, downtown, Shane, like you were saying, the way that you got your family started down in Federal Hill, right? They would come together, love living there and everything's great, but you're in a small house and It's challenging to get around on those sidewalks with a stroller. And some people start thinking, well, you know what? That grass is greener out there in the county with a little bit more space and take on the minivan life. That decision point happens at several places in families' lives. We've made a substantial difference, especially in the neighborhoods where we have been historically very active, which is Federal Hill, Canton, Central Baltimore, that core area where we're seeing now actually growth happen in the census numbers. Those neighborhoods are actually growing. The families are staying and they're successfully changing Baltimore and the growth pattern. The problem that we have overall is that that census number for Baltimore as a total has gone down and we're still shedding families out of the other neighborhoods. Taking the model that we have established in the neighborhoods where we've historically been and then being able to move that into the rest of Baltimore and share that with the rest of Baltimore and really understand with those other neighborhoods what they can do to keep families there so that they can change this pattern and this trajectory of like losing families to holding on to the families and then growing. I have been a board member, I think this might be my third year. I was brought on by my good friend, Christy Getman, right before she went off and moved to Nepal. And Christy is great for roping people into things. I think she had half the board members were attributed to her. And Scott and I, we lived through about 18 months of this extremely heated debate because we were called the Downtown Baltimore Family Alliance. And our board was made up of over half or two thirds from the peninsula with very few other neighborhoods represented. And it wasn't racially or economically diverse. It did not reflect the city in any way, shape or form. And so there was a massive board debate about whether we should continue, whether we should merge into another organization. And we spent about, how long do you think, Scott, going through that decision point? Yeah, no, I think it was about 18 months. It's kind of funny. When I talk to people about it now, they're like, so you went from the downtown Baltimore Family Alliance to the Baltimore Family Alliance? I'm like, yeah. And we talked about that for a year, which is extraordinary to me. And it's one of the things that I really have enjoyed in learning how organizations do evolve. And so that we come away with the best decision, which was just to scratch out the D and and there we go. (laughs) It wasn't as simple as that. It was very made up of, of a group focusing largely on the peninsula. It had almost no representation from Canton to talk about. Actually, I think there, there might've been almost nobody from Canton on the board. 
And when you don't have the people in the room to represent, then those ideas and the needs and the solutions are absent as well. So a lot of people didn't understand how we could expand. And I think one of the big efforts we did after we made the decision not to merge into an existing nonprofit, but to continue as our own nonprofit. And the reason we did that too, is we felt the other nonprofits were not focused on families. And that was our very unique value was not just being a city organization, but an organization that was promoting healthy families within the city. And it's interesting to me, I'll be honest with you, I grew up in the suburbs, 100% in the suburbs. And then I work in tech and tech largely is always suburban. I'm not sure why, but they love like big office parks where everyone drives in their car and then they park and then they go sit in this building. And that's what tech was. And I ended up moving into DC for the first time at 31. And it was quite a culture shock. And the only reason I was in Baltimore is because my husband had his house in Baltimore and we had all of our money tied up in that house. And I swore as soon as we were free, we were getting out. But then I came to love. I think what's special about Baltimore too is it is small, but it has world-class opportunities. It has world-class health. It has world-class sports. It has amazing food. I think because you have such a diverse culture, you have this constant clash, which brings out much more creativity. For people who aren't used to it, suburban to me is a little bit more of a medium with a more narrow band of good and bad, and it's more consistent. And in the city, it is wildly amazing and wildly negative. And it's in and out within moments much faster. And then you have this idea generation. And so you have these ideas at the beginning of the curve instead of the middle of a curve. Things happen in the city and then they move out to adoption. But I think that's that's the beauty and the challenge of like living in the city is it's all these newer ideas and faster what you said is so spot on and coming, growing up in a city, I felt that as a child. I literally could not wait to leave New York City. And when I tell people that, they think I have lost my mind. They're like, you grew up in New York City. I said, well, it wasn't New York City when I was little. It was just, ugh, you know, dirt, crime and whatever. And I left to go to D.C., don't laugh, for greener opportunities, right? And that's, the, that's what makes me so passionate about this work is because we don't know what we have until we leave you don't realize that Baltimore City has over 10 universities, world-class universities. We're in a pandemic and everyone's talking to Hopkins, which is down the street from my house. My neighbors are professors. You know what I mean? Like when you're talking about the world answers to Baltimore in some ways, and then in other ways, it's like flip-flop. It makes no, (laughs) so what you said, it's like two worlds living and coexisting at the same time some of the systemic racism issues and how they did the housing too. It's one side of the street versus the other side of the street. And, you know, I live that in my own neighborhood where it is night and day different the second you cross the street. It's wild. I was speaking in front of a neighborhood association in a predominantly Black neighborhood where my kids play the piano. And I said, one of the major issues here, because we're 45 minutes from D.C., from the seat of national power and world power in some different ways, And our economics has not caught up. 
for a lot of Black families in Baltimore that have been in Baltimore for years, you know, generations, their economics has not caught up to the outside of, of Baltimore City. So it's confusing when you're talking about the level of poverty that we have. And then at the same time, we have billion-dollar institutions in the city, not just universities. We have billion-dollar foundations. So you're going to have downtown where you have Teslas and then you're like, someone can't even, they're not even making that in a month of your Tesla payment. Right. And it, it will just blow your mind. Can you describe some of the offerings that the Baltimore Family Alliance offers its members? Our first thing is community. So we are working this year to organize our programs. And some of those programs look like, you know, meeting your mom, your fellow moms, right? And that's hard to do right now because we're still in COVID. But hopefully we can have some type of in-person meeting this year. Usually we have our sweet soiree, all the parents get together and have a good time and give back. And a fabulous applause. theme. And a fabulous yes. theme. The last one we had was, what, 1970s prom, Scott? Was that was that the theme? It was parents' prom. Whatever year, we didn't want to we didn't want to put anybody oh, in their age right, or whatever. Right. But whatever year you graduated, <laughs> it was your prom. What year is that for you, Scott? I'm not talking about <laughs> But what was the theme? What was the theme be- the year before? It's always been a funny theme. It's not a stuffy night out. We always just have a good time. We've had we've had lots of um fantastic surprise performers also. Like we had the roller girls, we had the Christian Warriors, the marching band. Are we doing the Stoop Soiree in FY22? We, we are planning, planning it. it. <laughs> We're planning it. As a parent, as you know, as you both know, we are stressed to the wazoo. You know, we have response. We have a lot of responsibilities. We have work. We have our family, our kids, and then our extended family. God help us if we have in-laws. <laughs> like, we need to have fun. And I think that's the part about living in a city you're supposed to have fun. Like, what is New York City without Broadway, right? What is New York City without the fun part? It's not. It's just another place. And Baltimore City is so critical to that. To take you back to Scott's comments about Sharika Bolden, Sharika was my child's community school coordinator. She was like, oh, I have free tickets. She didn't tell me she was on the board. I have free tickets to Stoop Soiree. Would you like to come with some of the other parents? And I'm like, sure. It's a party. It's a good time. We'll we fun. had a blast. It was at AVAM that year. A blast. And that was, oh, that was a while ago. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Yes. Sharika was on it. She texted me um, yesterday and said, I heard you were talking about me. And I said, I talk about you all the time. Because, <laughs> because literally, I get my news from other parents. You ran this year and you did it both in person and virtually the school fair? Yes. I think of that as one of our major signature programs because... People outside of the city might not know that you have school choice. You are zoned for a school, and this is all the way through. This is elementary through uh, senior, and we're just talking about public schools. So you have school choice from, you know, the time your kid is in kindergarten all the way through high school, plus there's a large number of parochial schools and then a large number of secular schools and then a large number of charter schools. It is extremely overwhelming to parse through and understand your opportunities. And the Baltimore Family Alliance, I think for over 10 years has been hosting a school fair. When is it hosted? So it's usually in October um, of every year. So you can have some time to shop around. And that's how I view it. It's like shopping, like what fits me and my family and my children? People have different needs. 
But I think what's interesting about the school fair is that people can actually move in and out. And people do when it comes to schools. So you'll have people that might go to private school for elementary and middle school and then go back to public school for high school. Baltimore City is unique in the sense that we have amazing private schools as well as amazing public schools, as well as amazing charter schools. Like I think Tarnbridge off the top of my head that people can't stop talking about. And it's one of those rare things or Hampstead Hill that people love, you know, Patterson Park Charter School that has a wait list um, to get on that people don't really even know about. And then we have schools like Gilman that are so historic that people send their grandchildren. I mean, I went to private school in New York City and my mom didn't have access to that. She shopped around every year. I went to a different school every year for the first six years. Oh my gosh. Yes, it was very traumatizing, but I go to therapy. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, that's, but that's the thing. When you're in a city that you don't know if you can trust the school system yet, and you're not from the city, you don't know where to go. So how yeah. do you make your decisions? Google and people. So yeah. we try to take Google out of it because we don't believe that Google knows everything, even though I'm talking to two IT people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's critical. We want you to have the admissions information, right? Just your your blanket. This is what we offer. These are the programs, the arts, the dance. And then we want you to talk to parents too. And it's not just schools moving out. We also introduce you to programs. So when yeah. your child can join the chorus and BSA has twins after school and there's yeah. an IT program. Yeah, it's so many different options in Baltimore City. The Model Lyric has a theater program my kids went to that's free. You even offer babysitting so that parents can drop off their kids and attend the fair. One of the programs I thought was so amazing was Playground Crawl. And so each weekend, each Saturday, it was a different playground. And for me, it was really exciting because, as I said, the Fed Hill and the peninsula is very insular and you get very comfortable. Uh, There's three playgrounds on that peninsula, so I didn't really need to go anywhere else. And it was wonderful to go to other neighborhoods and explore. And your kid needs to get out and needs to go on a playground anyway and meet other parents and understand what their life was like in that neighborhood and, and see that neighborhood. Now, this year, because of COVID and limited resources, we did a, what did we call it? We called it the playground tour this year. So yeah, in the past we would go and we would actually meet up on a playground on a particular day. We would get everybody together. It would connect families with each other. That was that was really a big part of it. And also going around and going to see other other playgrounds. This year, because of COVID, we thought it's probably not best to be getting everybody together. So we did it kind of virtually, but we had a playground tour. So we put together, you know, a list of the playgrounds and we made a scavenger hunt out of it. So you had to go there, you know, answer answer questions about it and then if you send in your your answers, you get a you get a t-shirt. So Scott, what is it like to be the president of an all-volunteer board? And you're a volunteer yourself. I would say it's challenging. I've I've really enjoyed learning about it and learning how to manage it. I've managed a lot of different projects in my life from 15 years in the construction industry and now I'm in the IT industry. So there's lots of projects going on and needing management. But in most of those situations, their employees or contractors of some sort. Managing volunteers is probably the hardest thing I think I've ever done. Learning how to do that has been really rewarding for me personally. 
it's extraordinary to me how many people are actually willing to give of themselves so much time and so much effort. We have a board of all volunteers and we ask them to do a lot of things. We ask them to contribute financially like most boards do, but we also ask them to to participate, to bring their families together, to go to their communities and their community associations and to bring your friends, come along. Let's plan a fantastic party. Let's have a stoop soiree every year and bring your friends along to plan that. And then I'm going to get to one of our programs, which is probably the most beloved program I think that we have, which is the Adopt-A-Family program, where we provide gifts for this year, over a thousand kids. I think it was substantially higher than that. Not only our board and not even only our membership, but people that have just known about the organization from all around the city give and give back. And I think it's just extraordinary. And that's one of the things that is unique, I think, to Baltimore is that spirit of giving that we have in Baltimore. People were outreaching to me in October about Adopt-A-Family, which shocked me. Because I'm like, December's not here. What is, what is going on here? People are so passionate about giving back in Baltimore, especially the members. It's clearly a part of their DNA. And I think that's something that's unique to just nonprofits, you know, air quotes, where people are like, yeah, I have a day job, but I want to make sure that another family that I may not know is getting the same Christmas or happy holidays that my family has. And I'm privileged to give back. That's something that's really unique because some of our families have five kids in them. There's not that many programs like it, you know, that people are just four, over 400 people are getting together to give gifts to someone else. And I always remind people, we don't take a cut from that. We don't, you know, deduct a toy to sell on the side. We don't do any of that. Every donation that a company or person gives goes straight to the family. We take it there. You take it there yourselves in many cases. People don't just buy, you know, your dollar store toys, which is what my kids get. They were like (laughs) scooters and, you know, books and clothes and hats and mittens and coats, things that families need and things that kids want. When I lived in Baltimore and we're not from Baltimore, my husband and I are not from Baltimore. He's lived here longer than I have. But I came up when I was engaged and then got pregnant two months after the wedding. So there I was living in a row home in Baltimore City. I had no family and I was pregnant. And not only did I need to find a doctor, the daycare, where are we going to live what are we going to do? Are we going to stay in our house? Are we going to send them to the three peninsula schools? And if you live in the peninsula, everyone argues which school's best. There was a wonderful program and it was called Meet the Big Kids Night. And it was three or four eighth grade to 12th grade children, Baltimore City children, and their parents sat behind them talking about what their life was in Baltimore and what it was like to go to the school and why they chose to stay in the city and what it was like to be a city kid. I don't know if it was also similar that a lot of parents like me had actually grown up in the suburbs, so they could not not just imagine what it was like to be a Baltimore city kid, but a city kid overall. 
how do you deal with not having space? Well, some kids like form a big alley and they have these like huge parties in the alley. And we have a huge park right next to our house um, that we're able to go to. And there's actually a lot of beauty and going to the park all the time. And kids go to all different schools, which is very different. Like everyone in my neighborhood went to the same school who you know is much larger because you're friends with your neighbors and you're good friends with them and they go to completely different schools. And sometimes their kids go to different schools because the one school served their one child very well. And so they try it and then move to another school that serves their one child much better. And everyone's got these crazy drop-off patterns or bus patterns. And also it was a lot more independence that the city kids were afforded, partly because some of the children have to take their own transportation or they take city buses, which I think a lot of the parents hadn't been familiar with. So it was at that early stage, a wonderful time to start imagining life without moving out of the city. My oldest son's only in third grade. So years before I would think about high school, but it was really good to understand and know that it was out there. I think a lot of times people, if they can't see it, they can't imagine it. You can hear about it, but it seems fake or idealistic, like a unicorn. But when you see it and you see it talking to you or you see it walking about, it really makes a fundamental difference. And so I thought that that program was very impactful, so much so that I insisted we do it this year. What you said about imagining, that's what I love. So when Adopt a family is so different than meet the big kids. You can tell two different people created these programs because one serves one need and the other program serves a completely different need. And I think that's the piece that I find so brilliant about the organization. It's literally parents were like, what do we need? And what do we need to be successful in the city? And how do we how do we implement that? A lot of the things I wish I had access to when I got here, one of my good girlfriends who I um was on the PTA with at one school. She's the head of Charles Village Parents. And, you know, Sharika, who was another person at the school, was on the board for when it was DBFA. And you meet these amazing people who you have never met before in your life. And they become like family. And it's like, oh, wow. So I met at Meet the Big Kids. And now I'm talking. I just dropped off a package today to one of our Charm City champions who literally was like, oh, when you have Meet the Big Kids, please let me know because I want to make sure this child is on the on the program. And I'm like, goodness gracious, y'all take this very seriously. Yeah. And people do. It's very serious for a lot of families because this is your way to hear what other people are doing and how they're making it work. And if it's just you, you know, are you in a silo? And we're not in silos. We think very similar across patterns regardless of race. Everyone wants their children to have a happy, healthy life and have the skills they need to thrive in the future. Everybody, regardless of where they come from, their demographics, where they live, that's they all want the same thing. And what Jimmy was saying about what people need, a lot of what they need is to be connected to each other, to have the phone number of the person when they need whatever question comes up in the middle of the night so that they can call them and, and ask that. Because we don't want to be in the middle of that. We're not like a hierarchy. Like you can't just call me or Jimmy for all the answers, but the answers exist out there. If we can connect everybody with each other, then we'll have all the answers. 
And I think that's the tricky part with our organization is because in a traditional nonprofit, we promise to solve a problem. There's a problem and in somebody's mind, there's a solution. Where in our organization, it's how do we serve our families? And families want to connect to other families. And that's difficult in COVID, one to one-on-one. Like right now, what is it? 51 public schools are virtual right now. It's a challenge because you don't want not to be in lockstep with our government, but at the same time, understanding that families want to meet other families in person, even if it's a way like you don't have to be in my face, but even if it's like a barbecue where our kids can meet and socialize, that socialization is so important for a lot of different reasons. Now, Scott, a few years ago, there was a big advocacy effort from Baltimore Family Alliance, and they did a march in Annapolis or went to Annapolis several times. You were part of that, right? Yeah. Most years we would go to Annapolis during the session for anybody that's not familiar, you know, the Maryland legislature meets from between January and April to make all the laws for the state. And so somewhere along the way in that session, there's an important date for families that would come up each year. Historically, since I've been involved with this organization, the most important issue, I think, for families in Baltimore City has been school funding. And so we made our advocacy trip to Annapolis focused around that. We, we went down there to meet with legislators and talk with them. For the ones that were already supportive, we would say thank you and give them the support they need to keep pushing. And for the others, we would try to motivate them to understand why this is really important for all the families of Baltimore, and especially, you know, all the families across the whole state. We did a couple of really cool things. One was we did this Apple program where we had kids write a note to legislators on the apples about why this was so important, and then pasted them all onto a scroll and had a big event down in Annapolis where we, where we shared that. We also brought the scroll back and we went and did the same thing in front of City Hall. We had a rally there. And we also had one at the gazebo that used to be over at Rashfield. That's an amazing new playground. Have you it guys really been there is. yet? It really oh is. Oh my God, it's amazing. It's beautiful um, and it's packed, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Tell us about the Kerwin so, Commission. Britt Kerwin led that, so it was named, after, named for him. And they looked at what it would take to make Baltimore's school system a world-class school system. They came back with recommendations for what that would look like. And then that that got turned into a bill that went through the legislature. And I think it was two parts. One is what do we need to do to make that happen for all the schools in the state to become world-class schools? So every child gets a world-class education. And then how do we then pay for it? Lots of organizations pushing that, and then also bringing lots of families together so that we do it on an individual basis. So Jimmy and I talk about that a lot. Like, we are the face of families, but we don't speak for all families. We want families to speak for themselves. And I would give it to me some props right now for the letter that she just sent out. City schools, all of a sudden, if you're not familiar, you know, closed schools at 11 o'clock at night at the last minute. And that's impossible for parents to plan their next day. Like, how are you going to find daycare? So you're basically going to call out a sick to work. That's just a terrible place to put people. And I understand totally that like COVID is unpredictable and we have all these, all these issues, but you've got to communicate better. But the cool thing that Jimmy did was instead of just going down and yelling at city schools on behalf of families, which we're happy to do. And we've already done this year a couple of times. We'll do it again. No problem. But 
instead of just doing that, she put a call out to parents and explained to them, here, this is what's going on. Here's how you can have your voice heard. And we teach them how to, how to have their own voices heard. I think that changes a culture also for them and empowers them to speak for themselves. And it's even more powerful when it comes from all the voices. I did not write that letter. All I did was include the contact information, which I will always do because you pay taxes and it's your right to contact people. A board member actually wrote that letter and was so passionate about it. You know, of course, um, your wife made some edits and I made some edits. But for the most part, a board member, who, and this is why it's important to have board members. I can't do everything. And I can be pissed off at something, but it might not always be appropriate for me to respond because it might just impact me. But when I get emails, and we do as an organization, we get emails from parents all the time saying that this is what's going on in my kid's school. This is what I'm pissed off at. What can you do? When people are willing to put pen to paper or willing to go up to the board meeting, which we had 10 parents on last night for a two-hour, three-hour meeting, waiting just to speak and voice their concerns, that is powerful. That's extremely powerful because people do things all the time and they feel like, oh, no one yelled at me. I must have done it correctly. But I'm looking at Shana right now as a CEO. If someone would have emailed Shana at 11 o'clock at night and said, your kid doesn't have school tomorrow, tough nuggets, you would have lost it. Like, have you people lost it? And, you know, a lot of times we have agency from those communities that can say, have you lost it? Where other people, their voice is squashed. And that's the part that gets me excited is when people stand up to, you know, and I don't want to say injustice, but really injustice. City College, which is one of our best high schools in the state, closed on Monday for no heat. They didn't tell the families until seven o'clock the morning of. Kids had already boarded the buses. They were already on their way. I'm looking at Dunkin' Donuts. Why are there so many kids here? Because they were already there and were told to turn around. That's not acceptable and it's not okay. And we, you know, as a city, if you're talking about retaining families, you can't do that. You have so many options nowadays. This is not 1970 where there's no Google. I can literally Google best school system in the country or best school system in Maryland. We want to put our best foot forward. And that's the part that gets me excited about my board members. And and what is it like working with an all-volunteer board? It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing to feel people's passion and to see how much they are willing to give and commit because you don't, no one gets paid from our board to basically work. I get workers for free and we know what that really means. So that's the part that really encourages me about my board is when people are willing to do things, not for me as a person, but for the cause, you know, yeah. to say, I want Baltimore to be better. It might kill me in some ways, but I'm going to push on through and we're going to get this going. That's the part that excites me about my board. What book have you read that has really impacted you, either personally or as it relates to this organization and giving? The book that had the biggest impact on me was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but basically where he starts is not where he finishes. And I think that's the part that constantly reminds me that when you're passionate about the people you serve, you can change the world. And I think people don't always get that from Malcolm X's story, but they don't realize, one, he's from Detroit. He's not even from New York City. He moves so many times 
And he ends up at it. And I don't know if you could tell the comparison to my story. He ends up in a city and falls in love with the people in the city. We actually have a block in New York named after Malcolm X, Malcolm X Boulevard, because that's how big and how much of a change this man made in our city. The book that I think about the most is Crucial Conversations. It's about personal conversations and about getting real meaning and, and understanding. So approaching people in a way that, that they'll share with you. I'm a systems guy. I think about systems and I always think about how things from the very small and, I, and then I make it relate to something that's much larger. It explains the system to me. And I look at Crucial Conversations and the, and the issue that you have with people when they don't feel safe, they go to silence or violence. So you see people that are either fighting and yelling or they're quiet and they're doing and they're not talking to you. And both of those situations are terrible for everything, for, for any organization, for any culture of any kind. And we take that from the small perspective of like your personal interaction with somebody and change that up and look at it as a system, as a whole. We can see that in so many places inside of our, let's just say our city, but in all the interactions. But when you see people talking about Baltimore and, and the uprising of 2015 or something like that, right? And understand it from the perspective of that's violence because you're not communicating with me, because you're not hearing me. I'm not doing this because I want to break things down or destroy stuff. If we look at people and we look at the people who are screaming out and the people who are not saying anything at all, including the people who have stopped talking and have moved away, and we hear those two voices loud and clear, then we know how to fix our city. Now, if people are listening and they want to give money, but I would say we would love your time. We would love your talent and your time. What is the best way that they can help? One, join. That's first and foremost. We, we want you as a member. We have our Charm City membership, champion membership, which is $50 for the year, not per month. You pay less and other things. Um, and that helps us advocate, right? That helps us make sure that we have the finances to run our programs year to year. And then you can also volunteer. If you have a specialty that we can use, please, please let us know. We, we have systems that need to be updated, communications that needs to be done. We have outreach programs that need to be hosted by uh, volunteers. We would love to have your, your ideas and your, your dreams for the city, really and truly. If you want to help put on our Easter egg hunt, please let me know. We are here. Meet the Big Kids is currently taken. But every other program you can come and volunteer with. What's the website? BaltimoreFamilies.org. So Baltimore, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S.org. Thank you, Shana. Thank you, Scott. It's a rare treat to get two board members on the call at the same time and just hear you feed off each other and, and discuss how much you do for the city. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to share it with friends and family. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn under the Outspoken Podcast. Thanks again, and chin up, heads up, eyes forward.